Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James. <sighs> we should make a badly morning jingle because we could use it a lot more. We would have got some real wear out of that this, this season. I was I was kind of thinking about it. I was going, what <laughs> what could the badly morning bad, jingle be? Badly, bad, badly, badly, bad morning. Yeah. Something like that. Something. Um, oh, dear. I was thinking more along the lines of Lady Gaga's Bad Romance, but... Uh, oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe that's not what we need to inflict on people after what was a uh, difficult, terrible, disappointing, gut-punching, gut-wrenching, heart-rendering, heartbreaking, vomit-inducing, bile-tasting result at the Emirates last night. Does that kind of sum it up for you? That's not bad. That's not bad. That That's was pretty much on the money. That was off the top of my dome as well, freestyling. Wow. Incredible. Rock mm. the microphone. Well, look, sure, we should just get into it, I think, because uh, we've had some time to to stew over this result and there's no point going uh, into small talk and, and all that kind of stuff. So let's mm. delve straight into Arsenal 1 Olympiacos to team selection. Any surprises in there for you? Because I looked at that team last night and thought, okay, that's kind of what I was expecting. He's brought out his big guns, the attackers. He's got Ozil in behind. Sobias has kept his place. Uh, Saka has come back into the team. Leno's in goal again. Like this is, it looked to me like on paper, our, our strongest 11. Yeah, of of the players who are fit, I think that is Mikel Arteta's preferred eleven. You know, he's got Mustafi back there alongside Louise, which he likes. Sabios mm. seemingly has the, you know, the he's the front runner, isn't he, in midfield alongside Shaka, head of Torreira, head of Ganduzi, and then that front four. Um, Saka is mm. the overlapping fullback, and and all the big names up front. So yeah, I, I wasn't surprised. In fact. I'd probably go as far to say I was enthused by the starting lineup. Yes, I was too. I looked at it and, th- and thought, wow, okay, he's having a real go at this. I do wonder if after last night this will be Mikel Arteta's preferred either formation or, or selection because I think 
um, what happened in terms of the performance last night might have illustrated that there are certain things that don't go together. There's, there are, you know, combinations of players that maybe don't work or can't work because of the form that certain players are in. But that's something we will come to mm-hmm. um, a, a little bit down the line in this discussion. So team selection, we had no problem with that. Uh, the first half... Um, I was doing the live blog. I was also writing the match report for Arsblog News at the same time, multitasking like a fox. And not much happened. Not much happened in that first half. It was really um, unimpressively dull. And considering the the stakes and the occasion, that that was a little bit worrying to me. Yeah, I was in my seat in the North Bank and so Arsenal was shooting away from me, which is always, you know, the less exciting half anyway, as far as I'm concerned. But Mm. this was particularly um, tepid, I would say. I I think the only thing that sort of brought it to life, as far as I could see in that first 45 minutes, was uh, Pepe, who I thought had some good moments you know I mean he had that one where he went through on goal didn't he and uh, was brought down I've not seen that back but I've heard it should have been a red card Uh, well look I think if a guy is going through on goal and he's just about driving into the penalty area and he is taken out with a foul before he can shoot yeah like if he'd been two feet inside the penalty box and the guy had chopped him down the way that he did I wonder what the referee had been more inclined to give him a, a red card I mean, to me, it was a red card. I think that should have been a red card. And I'm not uh, for any uh, second suggesting that that decision was what uh, cost us the game last night. I'm just saying that on the basis of the kind of foul that it was and, and the passage of play and the fact that Pepe was going into the box, you know, he probably would have cut back, turned inside, turned around the other way, gone back, yeah. r- uh, run into our half, run around Louise a couple of times, turned the other way, turned back, and then played a pass with his right foot out of play, you know, but maybe know, the referee knew that maybe the referee was like this isn't he may be through on goal but that doesn't mean this is a, a goal scoring opportunity what yeah. if the ball is near his right foot for example yeah. we could be a full 20 minutes away from this man having a shot um, <laughs> I mean the, the funny thing is that you know so, so I'm saying all that I did think he was in that first half the guy who looked like he might make something happen but but contained within that I think is a bit of a an admission that Arsenal's collective game wasn't really working because it, it, it mm. was his individualism or his ability to beat a man that looked like opening something up. I don't think our usual pattern of play across the team was firing. Yeah, look, we didn't really have any incision. And I think last night was really strange in terms of the quality of the final ball. Once we got into the into their final third, once we looked for that final pass, mm. uniformly, it was awful. Like, mm. not just from Pepe, not just from Ozil, from Ceballos, from Shaka. I think Saka put in a couple of decent balls, uh, in fairness to him. But, you know, the senior players who um, who really should be capable of a lot better were not delivering in that final third. And it made it quite easy for Olympiacos. I accept the fact as well that they were very well organized. They sat deep. They made it hard for us, you know, to, to go through the middle. So we were working the ball left and right, left and right to try and open up a, a, a space for a fullback or somebody in a mm. wide position to get in. They, they, they did that very well. But... You know, there was there was a real lack of energy, I think, in, in that first half. And I think w- what was more worrying was the fact that I went, OK, look, I've seen this before. 
you know, not just under Mikel Arteta, not just under Unai Emery, but in football where a team can have a, a poor first half. You go yeah. in at halftime, you're, you're looking at what the opposition are doing, right? You're much more aware of what their game plan is, which isn't really going to change. Um, yeah. And you you come up with a plan to improve things and make things better in the second period. And you go, look, we need to do this. We need to do that. We need a bit more energy. We need a bit more aggression. We need, you know, all of those things together. Let's have a real go in this second half. And it was, you know, we didn't come out with a bang. We came out with with a whimper. And, you know, one of those whimpers included their goal. So were, were, was that worrying to you as well? Yes, it was. It was. And and the other thing to say about the first half, because it improved a little bit in the second, is just that so much of our game going forward recently has been about getting Bukayo Saka in on that overlap. And I think Olympiacos were probably the first team who I thought sort of countered that quite well. Um, you know, they, they had a guy playing right wing who had an even more absurd squad number than Saka. I think he was 97 or something like that. I'm not wow. sure of his name. Let me have a look quickly. 97, Rand Yelovich. And he... Uh, man marking is a strong word to use, but there wasn't a moment in the game where he wasn't looking at Saka and tracking his run and right. following his, his positions. Like, uh, constantly his head was going to him. And I think, you know, that sort of slowed us down on that side. I, like you had the same sort of thought of, well, look, Arteta's really got a tune out of this team in the second half before. Mm. We've seen him change games at half-time. I, I keep going back to that Leeds match where he sort of broke that massive turnaround and we improved so dramatically. But, uh, you know, it, it, it didn't really. It didn't really. And the goal, yeah, it was... Uh, it, it would, I wouldn't say it had been coming... But certainly set pieces had been worrying me in the game. Well, set pieces were a problem against Everton. Yes. At the weekend. Certainly. Um, uh, this one, I think, you know, you can look and you, you go, how far do you go back? I think maybe Bellerin could have been stronger in the tackle in the first mm. instance. Uh, the corner came off Mustafi and... When you look back, in it, and I've looked at I've I've sort of done this to myself today quite a lot... Um, I've looked at the goals and I've looked at them and I've watched them again and again and again. And each time um, I watch that second goal, it's like, oh, God, I'm really, really not enjoying this. Yeah, why are you doing this to yourself? Uh, uh, yeah, well, I wanted, I wanted to analyse the goals and I wanted to That's look at what happened. Um, I think we can see that um, the the two players, I think it's Cissé and Barr at the edge of the area. Yeah. Um, it looks really bad for David Luiz. But I think when yep. you analyse the goal again, you've got to ask a question of Mustafi. Um, right. He sort of leaves his zone to try and attack the ball. And in fairness to him, it's something that he has done well. You know, in, in the recent weeks, he's, he's attacked the ball and been a, an aggressive defender. But what happened was he abandoned his zone, missed the header, the ball went over his head, and there's a big space between him and Louise. Uh, mm. I don't think Louise has a great deal of time to react. He just sort of waits for the ball to come to him and doesn't go for it himself. So, again, as we saw in that first uh, goal for Everton, the space between our two central defenders was too big. Uh, and there was a, just a, you know, if you're a six foot six central defender and you run in there into absolutely. Uh, you know, open space and the ball comes in, you know, it's just the simplest goal you'll ever score in your life. So I know people were looking at, uh, at Louise on the replays, but I think you've got to look at Mustafi as well, that if he if he's going for that ball, he's got to get it. And he didn't. 
Yeah, I, I also felt, and I know it's it's tricky because it's kind of a zone-based system, but they have two runners who come from deep and they start sort of up against Aubameyang and Ozil, I think. Yes. And Aubameyang does sort of go with his man and to, to nobody's surprise, Mesut Ozil doesn't at all. Well, he's, um, he stands there. If you, if you look at the replays, he's sort of looking to see where the guy is behind him. He's sort of looking behind him and doesn't yeah. even know the, key, the corner has been taken. Exactly. You've, so got, it, you've got to ask a question, don't you, of, of Mesut Ozil being used in that position, if that's what the organisation is, if that's the way the team has been set up. Like when they get a corner, we've got Aubameyang and Ozil who are going to track the runners, uh, you know, that doesn't make a great well, deal of sense to me. And, and the two guys who ran from those positions were, I think, the two centre-halves who were their most dangerous players in the air. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me at all if Olympiakos had watched what Arsenal do on set pieces and thought, here we go, you know, we could be in here. Why wouldn't you? Um, of course, you know, you do your homework. And uh, yeah, it, it, nobody covered themselves in glory. And I think it was disappointing that we didn't, seem to learn anything mm. particularly quickly from the Everton game. No. Um, it's it's an issue that, that Mikel Arteta is going to have to work on in a big way and again the sort of the fallout and the consequences of this we'll talk about uh, in a few minutes time. So look 1-0 to Olympiacos 1-1 yeah. uh, on the night 1-1 on away goals and it's a really tricky situation isn't it because you know that you know you've got to get a goal to win the game um, but you also know that if you concede you have to score twice because yeah. of the away goals rule. So it makes for a, a difficult uh, scenario for, for the team to deal with. And I wonder if it was a, a little bit inhibiting. Nevertheless, uh, you know, from an attacking point of view, it just it just didn't happen, did it? We did have a couple of chances. There was a Lacazette chance maybe late in the second half. Is that um, where he sort of went with his head? Yeah. It was quite low. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was like doing bizarre. that. It was like doing that thing you do when you're playing, you know, three and in with your mates and you go around the keeper and you stop the ball and kneel down, head it over the line just yeah. to annoy them. Um, I mean, to be fair, I don't trust his feet either right now. So mm. I, I sort well, of I mean, see. No, I, again, but like, you know, in seriousness, um, let's have this discussion then because I think we're looking at pre-game Aubameyang, Lacazette, Ozil, Pepe, and thinking, okay, like, let's do it. But now, uh, you know, on the basis of that performance, I would be extremely reluctant to play that foursome again. And I think if I was, if I was being realistic, I think I would be picking one of Pepe Ozil or Lacazette and one wouldn't be Lacazette at this moment in time because of the form that he's in. Uh, I know Mes mm. uh, Mikel Arteta really wants to give Mesut Ozil every chance to contribute, but he's not. You know, mm. the, the end product isn't there. And I do think there's there's a, just maybe something more to Pepe that we can get out of him if you can sit him down and say, just do it simple. Do the simple thing. Use your right sure. foot every now and again just to lay a you know a three yard pass backwards. You know, so yeah, where 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 do you stand on that? Because those are his, you know, on paper big guns, but you can't keep carrying players who, who are in the kind of form that they're in. And I think Lacazette and Ozil uh, in particular are are really struggling for form. 
Yeah, I think I, uh, I think I'm probably a bit more positive on Pepe because I think, as frustrating as his one-footedness can be, I, I felt like he might make something happen, and indeed, I think it was another cross from the right-hand side from him that led to uh, the goal we scored on the night. You know, and that's been the same. He, he created goals it, like that against it was Everton Ozil, and wasn't it? Was it? Uh, was it? Apologies. In that yeah, case. yeah, yeah. I think it was. I'll do, you keep talking. I'll go back and look at it. It may have been as well. That may be true. But I still have a bit more time for Pepe. I think that what's interesting is that with Ozil kind of playing as the closest player to Pepe on that right-hand side, we end up with two, um, you know, left-footed players on the right wing. I think having one is great because you've got someone then mm. who can go inside and outside. But with two who are always looking to come inside and without a right-back necessarily pushing on, especially later in the game when we had Socrates at right-back, we had Mustafi at right-back, I think we had Louise at right-back at, at one point. Um, you know, it, it was never... We never had that balance. Uh, as for Lacazette, I mean, the guy's form is in the toilet, really. yeah. yeah. In the train uh, spotting toilet, you know that worst in toilet in Scotland, way. the one where he goes into and it's uh, overflowing. Yeah, I mean, he's very much that. I mean, listen, you should never read too much into a player's warm up, but they were doing the the passing and shooting drills pre-game, and I was watching, you know, Pepe go down the right and put crosses in, and Saka put crosses in, and they were putting crosses in to sort of like between the six-yard box and the penalty spot. And Lacazette, I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. He was sort of side-footing open goals, wide, high. And I was thinking, well, maybe this is a good sign because, like, you know, it's not happening for him in the warm-up. And his head would go down after each one. And I was like, well, I'm sure, you know, in the game when he's feeling sharp, feeling competitive, that might change. Well, clearly, clearly it hasn't. And he's a mm. player who's desperately, desperately short of... Uh, I, I guess confidence. I guess confidence is a problem for him now, but also just form, sharpness. Um, he doesn't. He looks, you know, slower. A bit oh like he did. Oh my god! His, yeah, yeah. He's he, running it's yeah. through treacle, isn't he? Yeah, he really does look like a guy who can barely get out of second gear. And I don't think he was ever the quickest player, you know. But no. uh, he was certainly sharper in his movement than than he. Than he is right now. The the Lacazette that we're seeing now, and I know it's sort of open season on him a bit, but you know he the, you, you can't help thinking that there's something really wrong with him either physically or mentally, and um, I, I mean in terms of his confidence and in terms of how he feels, you know, in front of goal. We saw how much he celebrated that goal against Newcastle, yeah. like like a like a weight had been lifted from his shoulders, and then you think after the Olympiacos game, the first leg, you go, okay. Right, well, he's got a couple of goals. This should, like, re uh, rebuild his confidence, make him feel a bit better. But there's just something physically not right with him, I think. Yeah. I, I mean, it, I don't want to... I'm not making excuses for the guy, but I, I feel like it wouldn't surprise me at all if we found out there was a physical problem there because the way... The sluggishness is reminiscent of during that first season, isn't it? When he was in that terrible run of form and then yeah. had to go and have a little op. Um I don't know. I haven't heard anything about that, but that's how it looks. And I guess if it's not there, that's even more worrying mm. because, you know, maybe this. The well, I mean, if it is there, why is he being picked as well? You know, if he's True. if he's if he's got a problem like that and they're aware of it and they're still picking him, well, that's sort of a mitigating uh, element from his point of view, and it 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 doesn't reflect particularly well on on the manager, but. Um, you know, after last night, I, I think he needs a, a good sit down. And I know he's been left on the bench for the for the Premier League games for Eddie and Kedia. Um, 
and I'm sure that you know he's not going to play in the game on on Monday night against no. Portsmouth. Um, yeah, look, it was a bad night for him, and I think one of the one of the sort of recurring themes of discussion that comes up when we are analysing games under Mikel Arteta is the substitutions and it's recognising perhaps things that need to change. What did you make of the changes last night? Um, You know, I thought Lacazette could have come off at the end of 90 minutes, you know, if not earlier. And you could have made that change, put Martinelli on the left-hand side, move Aubameyang central and and see how you go from there. But um, there was also Torreira for Ceballos, which, you know, I maybe it was a fitness thing. Maybe it was about, you know, uh, just adding a little bit of extra energy to midfield. But we had sort of, we were sort of um, playing the game in their half and they were sitting extremely deep. Um, you know, I like Torreira, but, you know, what does he do that's different from Ceballos in 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 that role, in those circumstances. You know, he's tidy, he's quick around the pitch, you know, he picks the ball up and keeps it moving, but he doesn't provide any kind of... Um, he's not going to split a defence open, you know what I mean? No, no. I mean, he, he did have that one punchy shot, didn't he, from yeah. about 25 yards. But I found that a strange change, I must say. I... To be honest, what I thought there was that it was a bit conservative. Mm. I think, you know, it was 1-0 at that point, uh, one all on aggregate. And I think it was a change with Arteta thinking if they score a second goal here, you know, we're Mm. in really, really big trouble. Um, And I think it was a way of kind of steadying the ship. Not that we were rocking, but just, you know, there was a little bit of threat on the break from Olympiacos. Now, I would query that because I do remember... What was the game where we went down to 10 men? Chelsea, Aubameyang, wasn't it? Uh, no, 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 that's not right. Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace. And Arteta said, I I didn't want to make a kind of negative change. I'm paraphrasing here, but because I didn't want to send that message to the players. And yet I felt that Torreira for Ceballos was a little bit conservative. I, I think that was the Chelsea game that he used that ah, right. quote. I think I'm was, missing yeah. my messages. Because remember, remember they were talking about bringing Martinelli off. That's it. And he, he decided against that because of the, the message that he would send, yeah. But I, I, I kind of had, I felt like this was a bit sort of contradictory to that idea. I then I was a bit bemused by the the Bellerin change what, too. Can, can you confirm something to me? Because it, it looked to me where, like when Willock came on that we moved to what appeared to be a back three. That but is uh, right. Uh, so I've seen Shaq- people say that it was a back four, though, with Mustafi going to right back, but I just think he was playing on the right-hand side of that back three. Yeah, and I said Mustafi as a right-back earlier, but but really it was a back three, and that was pretty clear. Arteta signalled a three mm. to Shaka, who stepped back into it. Uh, so it was kind of a three-four-three. Saka and Pepe, I guess, were kind of wing-backs mm. in it. Um and I guess the idea was to get Willock on, you know, against tired legs. The athleticism of Joe Willock, you know, should, is an appealing prospect in some ways. He can separate from people, yeah. and create distance, create space. And Bellerin as well looked uh, short. And I, I think there was probably a reluctance to put him through 120 minutes. Can you or could you figure out exactly where Joe Willock was playing or what it was he was no, trying no idea. to do? <laughs> no I mean, I, could, I, I couldn't either. I couldn't either. I thought it was quite a strange substitution. I, I couldn't quite get to grips with mm. with that one. And then towards the end, of course, we had to put on Socrates for 
Mustafi, Mustafi, who got a hamstring strain. Do you think that might in some way have had an impact on Arteta making um, another change? Um, you know, the, the Leipzig for Martinelli sub seemed an obvious one from an attacking point of view, but but given the fact that he, you know, uh, had lost a player to injury, he might have been a bit cautious about that or... Yeah, maybe. I mean, there was he was cramp. There was cramping going on from quite a few different players, and Mustafi had been down a couple of times, I think, before he actually uh, went off with that hamstring problem. I mean, mm. it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Looking, I'm looking at the bench now um, and sort of thinking we had lots of central midfielders on there. We had, you know, Torreira, Willock, Genduzi, Maitland-Niles, if you want to call yeah. him that. Only Martinelli in attack. And Eddie Nketiah and scored in the Premier League at the weekend, wasn't on the bench yesterday. Reese Nelson, not on the bench. Reese Nelson, not on the bench. I think the the makeup of the bench is interesting. It doesn't look like a bench that was put together envisaging that we were going to be in this position, chasing a goal. Yeah, you know? I wonder as well if it was informed by the Burnley game, you know, where we, we lost Saka... And there was no obvious replacement for uh, for him at left back, and with no Kalasinac, I wonder if Maitland Niles was there to sort of provide cover at left back if we needed it. We know we can yeah. play in right back, uh, right back as well. So um, yeah, maybe it just feels like Torreira, Willock, and Ganduzi. You know, I feel like mm. maybe we could have had another attacking option there. But uh, yeah, Martinelli felt way overdue because if Lacazette looked leggy, you know, in the ninety minutes. In extra time, that was just amplified, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Um, and Martinelli, I think he, he provided a bit of energy, provided a he bit of bright. something. He did, looked really bright. I know he had a difficult game in the first leg against Olympiacos and, and was left out of the next game, but he just has that... that you know, there was one where he sort of sprinted to keep the ball in in their box, and uh, you know he was, if not necessarily involved in their goal, it was the fact that he was in the box challenging for a header, and the ball sat up for Aubameyang. And like, what can you say? I mean, he's sort of gone from the sublime to the to the harshly ridiculous based on what happened towards the end of the game. But what an amazing goal that was! Um, mm. I mean, Incredible. sensational, sensational. Really, really was. And, uh, you know, I, it's it's crazy, isn't it, how quickly the narrative shifts and changes. But mm. in that moment where, you know, he leapt in the air and volleyed that in at the near post, I was like, wow, we are so, so, so lucky <laughs> that we have Pierre and mm. Um And I think that's still the case, to be honest. I mean, we'll come to the miss, I'm sure, but it was a breathtaking moment and... Uh, the celebrations were massive. You know, I think there was huge relief in the ground. Yeah, I mean, I understand the relief of the the crowd completely. Yeah. I just wonder if, you know, from a from a player's point of view. I mean, I get why they were relieved, and I get, you know, how much the goal could have meant. But I just think, in the context of the game, uh, you know, I wonder if we got a little bit too too carried away with it. Maybe am I Maybe. just being an old stick in the mud on this one? You know, you're just, you just being Roy Keane? I don't know. No, no, I, think... I just feel like... <laughs> I just feel I, I, like maybe, you no, know, just well, someone to say, come on, come on, brilliant goal, brilliant goal, but we've still got, 
you know, a, a very um, we're on a we're on a tightrope here. Still, we're we're winning, we're leading, but you know, keep your concentration. I understand, you know, the the emotion and everything of um, of, of scoring a goal like that at the time that you score it, and you know, had we not fucked it up towards the end, it wouldn't be an issue at all. You know, we wouldn't even know, be talking about it, but. Uh, uh, yeah, of course, with hindsight, it looks a bit sort of uh, hubristic as well. And I, but it was, I mean, it, it was kind of an amazing celebration. I, I think it's sort of worth dwelling on because like the players were so uh, exuberant. It sort of was unusual in that respect, how much they were into it. And Lacazette, who when he'd gone off, he'd sort of, you know, had a little word in Aubameyang's yeah, ear, saw probably that. saying go and score a goal and then he was on the sidelines absolutely probably slightly relieved to be honest given the way he'd played and, and the chance that he himself missed mm. and, I, and I thought I guess I, I how comfortable did you feel then once mm, we scored that goal like I was relieved I thought it was a, you know a great goal I didn't didn't feel comfortable I can't say I felt hugely uncomfortable you know but I think there's a sort of fatalism that's built into us anyway isn't there yeah. that when you've got this situation it's like don't do anything stupid don't do anything stupid and then you're thinking to yourself stop being so stupid this is Arsenal of course they'll do something stupid that's course, what we yeah. do you know and then it's like you shut up you know we were better now and this, you've got this thing and going on in your brain in a funny kind of way it didn't change that much for Olympiacos the goal I know that you know they would have gone to penalties anyway but if mm. they wanted to win the game in normal time or in extra time rather they knew that one goal would probably do it and kind of the way they played the whole 120 minutes really was well we're going to keep it tight and then we're going to attack where we can now obviously they had to go for it a bit mm. more in that last period but they kind of knew if we score that that'll probably be it you know, mm. um, obviously they weren't accounting for the miss right at the very, very end. But yeah, the uh, set pieces had been the worry all night, and every time they had one, I, I was my heart was slightly in my mouth. Yes, um, and mine was for 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 this one also, and the fact that it was so unnecessarily conceded just made my. So- Made yeah, my talk me through the concession because it was like I say at the other end of the pitch for me on quite a, a sort of horizontal plane, so I couldn't quite see what happened. Right, so we have uh, the ball on the left-hand side in the left-back position. I'm just going to describe it to you here as it happens. Um, where is it here now? So I think do we even have a throw-in or something like that? Uh, let me just bring it across here. Got the video. It's coming back. So here's the ball. There's a ball bouncing in midfield. It's flicked on towards our goal. Shaka plays it back to Leno on his right foot. He takes a heavy touch and the guy closes him down. The ball rebounds off Leno and goes for a corner. I, I think Leno there, if he were to look at that, would say... Okay, the touch I need to take is not towards the man who's closing me down. Yeah. Let me open up my body. I, I think he's distracted by the fact that there's two players closing him down, one from his left-hand side and one who's sort of straight ahead of him. So maybe that confused him a little bit. Nevertheless, it was a, a really poor touch. If he had taken the touch and opened his body out, he could have played it to Louise and Socrates who were there on, on the right-hand side. Um, so it was a really bad corner to concede. Mm. Um, certainly yeah the corner itself 
I think we deal okay with it because it could be, I think it's Martinelli who who clears it with his head and it's a good header away. We have the goalkeeper coming up. He's standing yeah. there. Torreira is marking six foot six Cisse. That's good organization. So Martinelli heads away. Ozil sprints out. The guy gets there, steps inside Martinelli. I do think Pepe could close the ball down more quickly. He just stands looking at it and the ball as it comes in. Again, the two central defenders, you've got to look at both of them there. I think Louise, you know, it, he just sort of waggles his head at it. I don't think he makes any real attempt. He holds attempt. a hand up, doesn't he? I think almost as if to be like, oh, offside. But I don't know. He half, he half appeals. I'm just looking at it again. Hang on. Let me see. Um, yeah, he has this sort of arm in the air as if like... Um, oh, yeah. oh, shit. It's the, it's the oh, shit arm, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's the, the uh, oh, shit, please be offside. Please, sir, can that be offside? And Socrates, just too slow to react to the run of the guy. I mean, it is one of those difficult, you know, uh, ones where the ball comes in and the guy is, is level with you. But when you look at the position... Uh, when you look at the position that Socrates was in, he has a look around. He sees who's there. The guy kind of runs off the blind side of him. Um, mm. Arsenal's line isn't terrible, actually. You know, it's, it's not, not like there's someone terrible, but like it's not like there's someone six feet deeper. Do you know what I mean? Keep yeah. playing everyone on. But yeah, Louise needs to be much more proactive there. Socrates just doesn't go with the mm. guy, and. Uh, I suppose the last thing to say is it is a good ball. It, you know, it's a dangerous ball. But actually, for, do you know what? I'm watching it again. I almost feel like Shaka um, could maybe do more. I don't know if you've got it in front of you. But yeah, I do. I'm in, watching again now. Hang on. I'm, just, uh, this is very fucking torture here. How many times have you seen this now? It's yeah. about 20. Maybe it's over Shaka's head, but he's very mm. static. He's on his heels as it comes in, you know? Yeah, Maybe. Maybe. I mean, you're right. It is a good ball in. It's one of those sort of uh, the trajectory of the, the ball. The corridor of uncertainty, isn't it? Very, yeah. The very thing. Exactly. Um, so, you know, look, it's carelessness. You know, both of those goals that we conceded last night were due to, I think, fairly basic errors from our defending uh, and basic, uh, really poor uh, error from Leno. Um, remember what I said to you the other day about Leno? Oh, yeah. Remember you did. That? Shit. Just Andrew knows. Hashtag Andrew knows. <laughs> and um, yeah, so you can look at the both both of those goals and think, okay, you know, we could do we could easily do better there. Um, the question, of course, is why didn't we? Uh, uh, that will be something I'm sure Mikel Arteta will will take into account when he has his post game inquest and and you know discussions with the players because it, it, it's simple things, it's organisation, it's you know doing what you're supposed to do from set pieces. Um, I think you know on the one hand you might say, well the solution should be obvious, but you know we're, we're looking at mistakes from players who have made those mistakes time and time and time again in an Arsenal shirt. You know, um, so yeah, an absolutely gutting time to concede a goal. Yeah, and it felt to me like, well, that's it. There's just no way. You know, we're, we haven't created very much in this game. There's no way we're going to get another sniff of goal. And then, of course, we, we had that astonishing moment when Aubameyang the ball fell from Ozil, put a cross in. I think one centre half headed it off the back of the other. That's right, yeah. And Aubameyang turned, swivelled and put it wide from, you know, just outside the six-yard box. For a guy who has executed the kind of goal that he scored, that, that overhead kick, the acrobatics, you know, the precision, the timing, all of that, 
you know, to score that first goal, to then miss what is, by any stretch of the imagination, a guilt-edged chance is just, it's extraordinary. It was one of the most extraordinary misses I think I've ever seen from an Arsenal player. And I don't mean this to be critical of Aubameyang, by the way. I'm not being critical whatsoever. I think he's, you know, he's a... Uh, a big reason why there's still anything left to to this season, um, but uh, for a player of his quality, is just amazing. Yeah, and I, and I think like you know, as good as Aubameyang is, I don't think it's possible to sort of rewrite history and claim that he takes every chance. He's you know he he throughout his time at Arsenal has missed some chances. You yeah, know, because he by virtue of the fact he gets into so many positions, but this one. It was, you know, it was pretty presentable and I don't know. I mean, he's a, a nice, cool guy. I do wonder if sort of like just kind of the the, the chaos of what had unfolded in extra time and maybe, you know, that was playing in his mind a bit. Mm. I mean, he celebrated his goal so vehemently, you know, I thought you really saw what it meant to him. And when Olympios equalised, he was pretty much on the deck. He was, know, and, yeah. There's a picture of him just lying flat on yeah. the ground. In the centre circle, I think he was just like, I think he was pretty crestfallen, and mm. I don't, I don't think that's the best state of mind for any athlete to be in. Yeah. Did you Did know? you have some worries now about how this might affect him because he was very obviously uh, distraught in his post match interview, and he talked about how bad he felt, and you could see it on his face. You know, the players were, were coming over to console him. Bellerin came over to console him and walk off the pitch with him, and and, and everything else. I mean, mm. do you worry about how his uh, how this might affect him in in what's left of this season? Because there are still Premier League games to play. Uh, you yeah. know, we, we've really got to focus on that. We've really got to go for as many points in the Premier League as we can right now because this avenue for European football is is gone now. Um, you know, is he is he you know old enough, experienced enough, wise enough? to not let this become something which weighs him down? I think he is. I mean, I remember, of course, him missing the last-minute penalty against Spurs in the North London derby. And similarly, people, you know, were very critical of him in that moment and there was sort of concern. And I seem to remember that he bounced back from that pretty he, well. Didn't he score a penalty in the next game? It was against Man United it, and it was the same... It was certainly soon it after. It was the same penalty that he missed, if I remember. Uh, yeah, and, and you know, after that he sort of carried on as if nothing had ever happened and I think that's part of being a top striker is that you, you know, you miss chances but they don't stay in your head. Mm. Uh, for me, and look, I might be applying a narrative to this and I might just be over-interpreting things but, you know, I... I <sighs> When I looked at how Aubameyang celebrated his goal and how much that equaliser hurt him, I had a strong sense that he kind of knew what was at stake in you're, this game. You're talking about the, you know, the possibility that Arsenal might achieve Champions League football by yeah. by winning the Europa League, and thus, you know, uh, his own future, of course, is is an issue which is is going to come into play here because I think we can all accept that. You know, as, as a one of the best strikers in Europe with 12 months left on his contract, if, you know, and the age that he is, I mean, we had this discu d discussion in the last podcast that I think yeah. we basically said that Champions League football was necessary for us to, uh, A, have a realistic chance of hanging on to Aubameyang and B, um, being able to convince him to stay 
in the first place. Mm. So, you know, do, do you think that is something that went through his mind? It's like, I mean, I'm sure that's what he really wanted was, you know, to, to, to help, uh, whether he wants to stay or not, that's a different thing, but to help Arsenal, you know, win a European trophy that we, we came so close to, to winning last season, having got to the final. Um, mm. Yeah, that that was certainly how I interpreted it, yeah. And I felt like, you know, he scored a Champions League quality goal that seemed to be putting us, uh, you know, on the way of keeping those hopes alive. And then it kind of all fell apart in that final five minutes. And I... Yeah, I think that emotion was sort of, you know, etched into him in his post-match interview. I know it was about the miss, sure, and the disappointment, but I just felt like there were maybe bigger things at play. And, you know, there's an ambivalence, I think, naturally among supporters about the Europa League. And Yeah, let me ask you about that then. Let me yeah. ask you about that, that there is if you talk about this ambivalence towards the Europa League, and I understand that the Thursday-Sunday grind, you know, all the reasons that people might be fed up with the Europa League. How do you marry that with the outpouring of anguish and um, disappointment and, in some cases, anger, because that's people's natural reaction to a bad result and, and everything mm-hmm. else, and some people lash out, and that's fair enough. You know, there's ways and means of expressing your 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 feelings about a football game, whether it's frustration, whether it's antipathy, whatever it might be, but it seemed last night that, that all of a sudden there was this massive outpouring of, oh, no, like our season is fucked, this is a disaster, and I can yeah. see that point of view. I mean, how do we... Uh, how do we add that up with this supposed ambivalence to to the to the Europa League? Is it because we were so invested in the potential, like the long shot, and I think it was a long shot of winning the, the Europa League and getting into the Champions League? Was it that we were so invested in that? Or was it because maybe we were sort of allowing ourselves to to really believe under Mikel Arteta that that this hurts because there's something to to get behind again? Yeah, I think um, I think it's that as ambivalent as may, we may be about the Europa League, we know the value of Champions League football, and we know it for what it means for the club, the status of the club, the finances of the club. I mean, as we've been talking, the club have published financial results which show oh shit, have they? Uh, yeah, so they've published accounts for twenty eighteen nineteen which show uh, a loss of twenty seven million. Um, Bear in mind, the previous results, I think, showed a profit of 56. Uh, now, a lot of that is player sales from that previous year. They took a, a lot of money in the transfer market for people like Oxley chamberlain and stuff mm. like that. But, mm. yeah, it's not. they're not great numbers. Um, it's, you know, if you speak to people at the club, there isn't a huge amount of confidence that there is a lot of money available. Look at the January transfer window mm. for further evidence of that. Um, you know, being in the Europa League at all, uh, makes the club about forty million pounds. What well, does know. if you get to the final? If you get to the final, sure. you were in you. You know, it's. I think it was about thirty six million euros. If I remember, Swiss Ramble did something on this. Did, Maybe yeah. a little bit less than that because we were beaten in the final. Um, so there are. I mean, okay. Let, we'll talk about the playing implications now in a second. But there are very definitely financial implications 
of not making progression in this season's Europa League, yeah, um, which are going to have an impact on what we do or can do in the summer, lest uh, some kind of benevolent owner dip deep into their you know pockets, which seems unlikely when there's you know a, a stadium in in Los Angeles that's costing more to build than uh, fucking a hundred spaceships. Um, it it is going to have an impact financially on the club. Um, I think there's another sidebar issue to this as well, isn't there, that season ticket holders are entitled to seven games. Absolutely. Seven cup yeah. games on their season tickets. That hasn't been fulfilled. No, so they there will be a rebate, I believe, to fans at the end of the season, which will cost the, the club a fair few quid. So, yeah, I mean, look, the... How realistic it was for us to win the Europa League, I don't know. But I think given that we got to the final last year um, without a team that was especially great, I think there was hope that Arteta could do this and pull this off. And I think he sensed that as well. Yeah, maybe. I think that, you know, I think that's the, the glass very, very half full outlook on it. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah. The, that's the fans' uh, primarily way of thinking. I sure. Think, you, know? you know, I think... If you were to step back at it uh, and look at it objectively, you would say that it's a rookie manager who's taken over a a, a team that was in an absolute fucking mess. It was a shambles. Mm. The whole club mm. from, uh, you know, top to bottom was in, in the mire, you know, when, when he took over. So, you know, the fact that he's stabilized us and, and, and brought about a change in attitude, a change in results, um, you know, not a significant change in the results, but, but some change. And, and certainly there's, there's a lot for us to, to get behind and to, 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 to hope for, I think, mm. For that guy with this squad to to win a European trophy in his first, not even his first full season as a manager, yeah. his first few months as a manager, to me seems completely unrealistic. So while it was really frustrating and, and disappointing to go out last night and to go out in the manner in which we did, I mean, we can't be overly um, vexed by by the fact we're not going to win the Europa League. I don't think. Anyway, that's, maybe no. that's just me. Uh, look, I would have loved... I would love Arsenal to be in the Champions League next season, even if I agree it would be well ahead of where we are in our development. You know, I, And we'd probably get absolutely kick, the shit kicked out of us by any half-decent team in the Champions League uh, group stages. But... You know, at some point we do need that revenue and we need that boost. And the sooner the better, the longer we're out of it, the harder it gets. And I think we all just wanted, we all saw the Open League for what it is. It's a shortcut, isn't it? In the game of snakes and ladders, it's the ladder that takes you higher than you would otherwise go. Mm. And it was probably the most plausible path. Unless, you know, Arsenal get very lucky with the legal stuff with Man City to that actually happening in a season which has been basically a disaster. So it was a, it was a you know, a way of saving the season and making it, oh, all that terrible stuff that happened in the first few months doesn't actually matter because now we're back in the Champions League. That's, that's probably gone now, I think. Yeah, no, I think it is. Um, and I think... Yeah, again, if we want to step back and look at things, we have to look at how the season got to where it did, to the point where it did, where, where you know, the fact that, uh, you know, after just a couple of months in charge, people were letting themselves think or hope or believe that we could win the Europa League, 
look, I'm not saying people should temper their expectations or or that they shouldn't believe. Like, wh- what the fuck else have you got if you can't if you can't believe in something or hope for something? You know, it's a huge part of being a football fan. But but you know, picking up those pieces and then fashioning them into a side that could win you know, a a European trophy, something which Arsenal haven't done since 1994, it should be pointed out, you know, with with a a, a manager of far greater experience um, at the helm for for 20-odd years, Arsene Wenger couldn't win a European trophy, you know. uh, So I I think... I I agree with you. I I think it was always... It was probably always unlikely, but I, I would say, and this isn't to be overly critical of Mikel Arteta, I would say that an Arsenal team with a 1-0 lead from the away leg oh, sh- against yeah. Olympiacos at home sure. should probably go through that time. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I do agree with that. It was a bad night. I think yeah. I think uh, this I think this is going to be a game which has a significant impact on Arteta. Mm. Um from now on. I think he I think we're going to see him make some changes to his team um, mm. because I don't think you know he can put out his big guns but if they're not delivering for him he's going to have to go a different way I think defensively um, he's got to try something else as well I think at the centre of our defence we've got to try something else because like as good as Mustafi has been in the last few weeks and I think perhaps um, his redemption has been overplayed a little bit um, I I, you know, at the heart of it is a guy who's been really bad for us for a number of years. Louise has had some good performances, but, you know, we saw last night and even I think against Everton, a player who maybe he's tired. He's played a lot of games. Um, you know, his passing is off. His concentration is off. Those things which if they're one or two percent off with David Louise, they look like they're about 50 percent off. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um you know, I think he's going to have to maybe bring in the new guy, bring in Pablo Marie, and, and let's have a look at him in, in the FA Cup game on, on Monday and see what he's like. Uh, I, I don't know that he can play that four together again. I, I think he's got to leave Lacazette out of the team for a little while. I'd like to see him, um, as much as I, I uh, enjoy Eddie Nketiah and seeing a young guy come through, I would rather see Aubameyang play as our centre forward and Martinelli play from the left-hand side because Martinelli is a 10-goal or 10-11-goal player so far this season, you know. Um, So I think it might well be a game which has an impact on him and how he views some of the players in this team. And and to me, this is going to be the most interesting part of, of what happens after this. Like, there was always going to be a bump on the road, wasn't there? You know? Yeah. We hadn't lost since the Chelsea game. We'd been unbeaten in 2020. I know we hadn't won as many games as we would have liked, but, you know, as much as winning becomes a habit, not losing becomes a bit of a habit as well. So what the response is to this, how he picks them up, how he picks himself up, and how he tolerates any kind of um, misery is not the right word here. But, you know, there's no way that, he can allow anyone who's feeling sorry for themselves to play in this team. You've got to, you know, pick yourself up and get the fuck on with it because there's still plenty of points to play for in the in the Premier League. 
Yeah, I was really struck. I expected Mikel Arteta to come out in the press conference and sort of give his team shit, like, uh, you know, call call them out a bit. But it was really telling that straight away he was saying, you know, I'm proud of them. I want them to pick themselves up. I think he senses that mm. he's got a job on his hands to lift yeah. them at this point. And I think you're right to flag this as a game that will be significant for him because something that I think we are not used to and who is used to it, having a manager who has never managed before, is that we've got a guy who is learning and needs to improve and needs to get better. And as painful as an experience as this was, and as familiar in some ways as it was Mm. for us, it is new to him and it will change how he tackles the job, how he approaches the job in future. It has to. No, I agree. I agree. And I think, you know, maybe it's a testament to the work that he's done that people are so, yeah. you know, unhappy or, or, or so gutted by, by what has happened because maybe they expected more and that, that's okay. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying that they shouldn't, but, you know, I think when he took over, people were sort of saying, look, whatever happens between now and May, Kesara Asara, kind of, because it, it's so bad that whatever we can do to make things better from here, you know, we can live with that and we can use these six months as a kind of a learning experience and, you know, it'll be beneficial for Arteta. He'll get to know the squad. He, he'll he know who he can count on, who he can't count on, all of those things at the same time as him getting that vital experience under his belt as a manager, you know, on the sidelines, game after game after game, like he's literally learning on the job. I think there was a widespread acceptance that that is kind of the way that the rest of this season would go. The difficulty, of course, is that when you lose a game in the circumstances in which we did, it's very difficult then to rationalise that with the 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 sort of um, the visceral feeling of of losing a game in those circumstances, isn't it? You know, you can step back and say, okay, well, you know, we all said, but at the same time, when you get fucked by a like a, a last minute in injury time goal last minute in extra time even you know it yeah. it is is normal to be absolutely um distraught about that and it's a it's a it was kind of a double punch wasn't it because there was the winning goal and, and then, then the, the miss. miss it was like you know left them right it was whew, uh pretty heavy heavy double blow so yeah i think that's it and i think all the frustration and the anger is is actually just sort of the reality of the situation coming home to roost and the timing of these financial results the next day. Mm. You know, I don't think... I mean, that's the third blow, isn't it? But it's like, it, it doesn't... It really makes you realise where we are. We can't sort of kid ourselves on that we're going to get this magic pass back into the Champions League. You know, we are... We're, we're, mm. we're in the shit, basically. And yeah, we might pull something magical out of the bag between now and the end of the season. Personally, I don't hold out a huge amount of hope for that. Um, I just think there's sort of too much competition, really, and, mm. and it kind of would it would require a run the nature of which we've not seen this team produce for quite some time. Um, so yeah, I think it's just it's the chickens coming home to roost. It's a real reality check. Yeah, and 
It is a bit That's of a yeah. disappointment. It is. It's a reality check. It's a kind of slap in the face. It's a waking you up from this kind of, I won't say daydreaming, but a, you know, to a, to an extent, I think that might be the case that we we sort of yeah. let ourselves believe certain honeymoon things. Honeymoon period, maybe. Honeymoon period as well. Yeah, all of those things. So look, it, it was a it was a painful night, a painful night, but. Um, We've yet to see what the response uh, Mikel Arteta can elicit from these players in these circumstances is. This is kind of like, okay, we had the Chelsea game, didn't we? Which was, you know, that was that was a bit heartbreaking as well. But I think this is even more so because, um, you know, the the potential reward and and everything else. Um, yeah. Right. Will we uh, will we take a break and come back? Let's with questions? take a break. Yeah. Let's take a little break. We'll come back with your questions and more in part two, right after this. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at Gunnerblog and at Arsblog. Also on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog and on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. Um, can, can I ask you a question first? Of course. Do you ever like work late? after a football match or whatever and, and you lie there in bed trying to sleep and you can't sleep because you just you're too wound up and oh, yeah, all the you're time. replaying incidents of things in your head and you go why didn't you just do this you fucking and then you're sort of lying there and then you get a song in your head and you get the snippet of a song in your head just one line over and over again and you you can't sleep because the song is going on and the song is that happened to me last night. Oh, no. And what was the song? Sweet Caroline. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. I think the yeah. players deliberately chose to lose so they wouldn't have to hear Sweet Caroline. It's very possible. Uh, yeah, Amy Lawrence said that that was the one silver lining for her. Oh, that, God. That we didn't have to hear Sweet Caroline. I mean, uh, yes, I'm sorry. That's not the song you want to get stuck with, is it? It isn't. It isn't. But um, hey, right. Apologies to any any Carolines out there, or Neil uh, Diamond himself, of course. <laughs> um, shall we have a question? Yeah, yeah, let's have one. I'll start from okay. Richard Estrada, who's at Lance Striker Six. He said, I'd love your thoughts on the inability of Pepe to pass the ball in a timely manner. Had guys cutting the entire match and couldn't or wouldn't hit them in stride. Really frustrating. Hmm. 
Yeah, he reminds me of Pepe. I I think when we bought him, I sort of thought we were signing like a sort of Salah-esque, sort of like goal-scoring wide player. He reminds me of um, Riyad Mahrez quite <sighs> a lot. Uh, you know that tendency to sort of do the drag back, the step over, mm. the other drag back. And I think like Mares, he's a bit of a, a wild card, really. You're kind of never quite sure what you're going to get. I think Mares has become more kind of uh, systemised at City. Well, you but, have to be, don't you, under Pep? Because otherwise he'd be yeah. so, so angry. So angry to Riyadh. I'm very angry. <laughs> so, so angry. And I guess that's what gives me hope because the talent is there. And I think if Arteta can kind of work a similar trick. But yes, look, there was a pretty absurd case. Was it in the second half yesterday where, last night, where he sort of, I mean, did check back five or six times and people in the crowd were... Absolutely astonished <laughs> the amount of time is he checked a, back. Is that a diplomatic way of putting it, James? Oh, incredibly diplomatic. <laughs> I mean, when something big happens live at a football game, something happens where people turn around and sort of look at the strangers behind them with their arms outstretched as if to go, what the fuck? Do you know what I mean? And that's what everyone was doing. Yeah. There was that thing of like looking at each other being like, what are we watching here? Um, what I can only is imagine happening? It was... Uh, similar for you in front of the, the TV? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there was that, yeah, that moment you're talking about where, I mean, in fairness, he beat about oh. six men. It was like, some of it was extraordinary, but like, had he released the ball a bit sooner, I'm pretty sure we could have, you know, um, caused them, maybe caused them a problem. As it was, he held on to the ball, the ball so long, Olympiacos got pretty much every man back in, in the box. So you cut off all the avenues again. I think, I think that is going to be something that, um, that Arteta thinks about, you know, is how how quickly his players um, move the ball. Mm. Yes, I agree. I think that they were. I think there were a lot of players who were quite slow to make the decision to release the pass. The tra- you know, just Arteta does this thing on the touchline when he gets really wound up, where he he kind of moves his hands in like a little mini circle. And what he's saying, I think, I think what he's trying to say is circulate the ball quicker, 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 quicker. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So like he's, he's sort of spinning a little circle with his hands and he did that a lot last night. Yeah. A lot. I and can I think imagine. He, he, he wasn't happy at the speed the ball was moving. And I guess that you'd have to say that's the case for quite a lot of guys in this team you know Pepe holds on to it too long Shaka sometimes holds on to it long I think even Sabah's can hold on to it too long Mesut Ozil you think about the, the incident in the, in the in the Everton game where the ball you know he took the ball out of the sky and then just stopped it was yeah, like no, exactly. no, no, play go forward use the ball uh, quickly it, exactly and I think Pepe's a tricky one because pff, I, I do you know like you said he did beat the, the man about five times in that moment you know he can do it mm. and I think he he, he produced a, a very good save I think from the goalkeeper at one point he made a couple of decent saves to that keeper but yeah it was frustrating too wasn't it and I do think that combination of him and Ozil in tandem is maybe a bit problematic because they're kind of looking to do similar Things. I mean, I still yeah. think Pepe was sort of bought not as the same type of player, but as Ozil's replacement. I think, you know, when when they thought about what this team might look like in the summer, I do think they were thinking 4-3-3. How, three, three, how much do you, know? you think they thought about it? 
genuinely. I mean, how much do you think they thought about it? I mean, they, we knew we know they were after a winger, yeah, because they were they were pursuing Zaha, but mm-hmm. like Zaha yeah. and Pepe are quite different. Yeah, and they they are best on opposite sides mm. as well. Um, maybe not. Well, certainly I was looking at it then, <laughs> put it like that, and thinking that's the obvious way this plays out, and Ozil will be kind of the the odd man out. But obviously, mm. since he's come back into the team, that's kind of changed. What? What? So, what do you think about where Pepe is right now? Um, like you, I can see the talent. I think there's a need for him to... I mean, you, you don't want to cut all of that out of his game, right? Because that's what that's what he's good at. We don't really have anybody else who can beat men in the way that, that he does. But it's about, it's about being aware of all the other stuff that's happening around you. Like, it feels to me like he's trying to beat men for things to open up for himself rather than beat men for space to open up for other people, if that makes sense. Like, I I do think there's a simplicity that could be introduced to his game, which would make him more effective. Even, Even a couple of times, and I've noticed this not just last night, but a couple of times in the last few weeks, even when he's playing a short pass to somebody where they're sort of tippy tapping the ball around the right hand side the the weight of the pass is not right like he can leave it short so he has to go rescue it him, uh, himself or mm. or it, mm. it puts the other player into into a little bit of trouble so i i think if they they can introduce some simplicity to his game i i i do think as well that it's it's very difficult to play him and ozil and lacazette in the same team because I'm just not sure there's there's enough end product there. Um, so it's who who yeah. who are they going to invest in between now and the end of the season? Who who might the investment of time and minutes benefit the most next season? And for me, it's fairly obviously Pepe. I think so. I mean, you know, we talk about end product, but you know, he had a goal and two assists against Newcastle. He had an assist against sure, sure, Everton. yeah, 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 yeah. You know, he's been a bit better in that regard. Yeah, I, I, he'd be the guy that I would be persisting with and I think yeah the the sort of the constant beating of men for last night was frustrating but I sort of think it kind of came out of necessity because you know what we were doing collectively wasn't great and wasn't working mm. um, but you know what I think I said it on the last show Mikel Arteta I've heard him shouting Nico Simple and I think last night there were sort of about 50,000 Arsenal fans in the stadium shouting Nico Simple too mm. Um so yeah, uh, uh, you know he's got a way to go. He's got a way to go. The thing is, though, you know, it kind of feels like he might be the easier one for for Arteta to to drop, and I hope that isn't the yeah. case. You know, because you can Same. see those yeah. elements of his game, which are you know, I think Lacazette has played himself out of the team. Ozil does a lot of stuff that's very tidy but not necessarily that effective anymore. Whereas Pepe, you look at him and you go, oh god, you know, just. You can you can understand why he frustrates, but you know if you really are if you really do want to prepare your team for next season, give him as many minutes as he can, and, and try and like polish off some of those those rough edges uh, between now and May, and and go again. Yeah, you've got to try and wring what you can from the massive investment that we've made, and you know. Mm he is as important uh, a project as anybody in this team. Um, Let's have a question from the Discord. It's from 
Sonny cool. Uh, and Sonny says, last night was a huge moment for me. With Champions League highly unlikely, more quality will probably leave the club than come in in the summer. I've always put our potential up there with Chelsea and United, but for the first time ever, I'm starting to feel like we can only just compete with the likes of Leicester and Everton. I've never felt this low about our potential before, ever. Whilst any fan of any club can dream, do we as Arsenal fans need to seriously lower our expectations? Yep. Yep. I think so. I think so. I think we... Like... I try and I want to look at things from the most optimistic yeah. way. Um, what I look at is a club that has been on the slide for a number of years. And in recent times, that slide has become more obvious and more marked. Um, I worry about the overreaching strategy. I worry considerably about the the people who are running the football side of things at uh, this club and you know I'm sure there are eyebrows being raised here and all kinds uh, I'm not going to go off on a rant about Ralson yeah he all I will say is that you know if you're if you're in a setup right if you're in the kind of setup where you have a head of football somebody who is directly responsible for football matters at the football club mm. um I, I, I wonder would in any other business producing the kind of results that Raul Sanyehi's overseeing of Arsenal's football strategy has produced lead to the um, to the situation where the guy keeps his job without any question. Like mm. is football is a strange, weird industry where you can be the head of football and appoint three or four different head coaches who all fail and yet you get to pick the next one. Well, you know Ed what I mean? Wood springs to mind. Yeah, you know, you know so that there's, there's this sort of veneer of executive protection that I don't think is is that healthy. And I think I worry a little bit that perhaps Josh is in thrall to Raul and his experience and his, his, you know, I'm sure he's a smooth talker, as we've seen. Well, not that smooth. He's quite a rough talker. But, um, you know... I just worry, like, I think Josh is more involved and wants to be more involved and clearly wants to to do more with, with Arsenal. But, like, mm. I, I, I just have serious worries about the people who are who are running the club. And I like, this isn't about Arteta, by the way. And like, I'll give them credit right now for the Arteta appointment, because I think, you know, again, he's somebody I really want to believe in. I, I like what he says and what he's doing and, and everything else. But I think the squad building, some of the dealings that we do, uh, the, there doesn't appear to be a real strategy in place um, or not one that's been communicated to us about where the club is going, where it wants to be beyond these sort of peripheral or these vague ideas of competing for the biggest trophies, as we keep saying, that, that, that KSE, you know, talk about. So yeah. I, I think we are in a situation where we're going to have to take stock and think, okay, 
you know, we've got we've got some way to go. Like the idea that we might be back in the Champions League was one that kept us all going because instantly our status would be restored. That this thing that we all enjoyed and experienced for years and and in some ways took for granted, you know, was back and that's it. Problem solved. So maybe last night, as hurtful as it was and as painful as it was and as disappointing as it was, is a reality check, not just to Mikel Arteta or to um, Raul Sanyehi or, or Stan Kroenke or Josh Kroenke, but to us as fans as well. That they've got, they've got a lot to do, James, to, to, to put things right. And we're asking the people who, who made things wrong to put them right. Now, maybe oh, anyone can make a mistake and you learn from your mistakes, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm not, I'm not filled with a great deal of confidence that the guy who wanted to give Unai Emery a new contract is uh, some kind of footballing mastermind. Mm. No, no, nor I, nor I. I mean, the, the only thing I would say is that I think this trajectory has been in place. It predates them. You know, we've been sure it predates predates Raul, Raul certainly. You know, in that we've been in decline for some time. I don't. It doesn't predate KSE. I would. I would. No, say. I think it's very, very strongly connected to KSE, um, and maybe it's a coincidence because the, the 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 Wenger era came to an end and all that kind of stuff. But you know, since they took one hundred percent ownership of the club, it's not been great. Mm. Uh, yes, I think that's true. In terms of our expectations between sort of, let's narrow it to kind of between now and the end of the season, what do you think, what are your expectations for what the rest of the season might hold? Um, I mean, do you do you think there's any possibility of qualifying for the Champions League through the Premier League? Can I look at the table? Yeah. It's four points to fifth, and it is seven points to fourth. On paper, not insurmountable. Re- not. Realistically, no. is that is it just going to be another thing that we dream about, though? And then when it doesn't happen, we get we get unhappy and sad because we couldn't produce. I mean, look, maybe the we had a question or two here. I think on the on the Discord. Um, one is from uh, shit. I should have worn my glasses. Uh, GM Lig, I think it is. Apologies. Who says given Arteta has a week to prepare for each game now, and the players have less time to uh, fight for or, or play games? Do you think it's possible they could sneak into a, a Champions League spot? And Vidur says, given we're out of the Europa League, how many points realistically out of the thirty-three left to play for would be a good? end to the season irrespective of where it puts us uh, on the table at the end um, so where you know I think yeah we're a team that's won what three, eight Premier League games this season we've got 11 to go I think if we can win if we win five or six out of the 11 that we've got left draw a couple lose a couple I think that's probably what we're about set up for I mean I'd love it mm. to be more I'd love for us to, you know, go on a run and everything else. But I, again, I think we have to be realistic about what this team is is capable of. Yeah. Um, and I'm just having a look now at the fixtures and seeing what remains. I mean, we've got to go to Spurs. We host Leicester. We host Liverpool. Ooh. So, you know, there are some tough games there. Um, 
I think that we can probably accumulate more points and enough points to overtake. With the greatest respect, we might overtake Wolves because you know they're going to carry involved, on in Europe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sheffield United have been great, but who knows if they can sustain it? Um, I don't think they will. I think they're the classic newly promoted side who have been really good, and you know we know firsthand how good they are. Uh, I just I think we've seen this before with teams like. Uh, Wigan, I remember one season having a stonking sure. season, and then towards the end, you know, all the effort that they put into yeah, it, Paul you know, Jill becomes was, a, yeah, yeah. The, the sort of becomes attritionous, attritional, and, attritional. And they've they're at forty points now, so there's that, you know, that sort of psychological barrier is there. So maybe they might just take their foot off the gas a bit, but we still need to catch and overtake, uh, you know, Chelsea, Man U, Spurs. Mm. I can't, that feels I, like a big ask. I can't see it. I, you know, realistically, I can't see it. I mean, I'd love it. Don't get me wrong. I'd absolutely love it. But I just, realistically, I, I can't see us producing that kind of consistency. Um, I, I, listen, I hold out more hope of finishing above Spurs than I do of us getting into the Champions League. Would that be, in the circumstances, um, as... Uh, trifling as it is in the grand scheme of things yeah. would that be a successful end to the season yeah. seventh is a trophy if it's above spurs <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, well look i would take it i think in the circumstances i mean we have got um the fa cup still yeah to contend with and it's a competition that you know we have uh, great history with as does arteta mm-hmm. um so that would be cool to go deep into that competition and have a Wembley showpiece and, you know, hopefully in the final. Uh, yeah, so that that's kind of a separate thing, though. You know, that, that doesn't change anything dramatically for us, I mm. don't think. You know, it's not going to fix the mess we're in, I don't think. It, it will feel nice, yeah. but it, it's not going to financially or status-wise or in terms of keeping players do very much. No. No. Uh, do we do we need to qualify again for Europe? A lot of people ask this question, so apologies if you didn't. I didn't yeah. you know, get your name out. But do we need to qualify for Europe to make or to consider um, the end of this season in any way a success, even if that is just the Europa League? So personally, I think we do need to qualify for Europe. Um, by hook or by crook. Um, I know there are people who say, well, look what happened to Chelsea when they were out of Europe and in mid-table, and look what happened to Leicester, they won the league. I just think, first of all, you've got to bear in mind the different financial situation that Chelsea were in at that time, where, you know, Brownrich was still willing to put money in mm. and it wasn't, you know, too problematic for them to not have European football. We do need all the revenue we can get. I also think... <sighs> You know, I think there are players, and I'm not just talking about Aubameyang and Lacazette, who, if we don't have any kind of European football, might question that. You know, do, do those contract negotiations with somebody like Bukayo Saka become a little bit more difficult? Yeah. Uh, I think arguably so. Um, That's so a I fair think point. We do. I, hadn't, I hadn't considered that, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, you just think in terms of a player who might look to move or might consider moving, being able to say, well, I want to play in Europe, it's a pretty big crowbar in those negotiations. You know, it's a pretty big piece of leverage. Um, so I think we do need to do it. What about you? 
Yeah, look, I just think uh, on a very basic level, European football and uh, the revenue that it generates is important for a club, which is, um, as as we've been made uh, fully aware today, um, struggling from a financial point of view. A, a comment here from Sir Chips uh, at the end of the uh, financial results, which you can read on the, the official Arsenal website. Our player trading profit for this financial year was limited, and this combined with a second consecutive season of Europa League football, remember this is about last year's revenues, and this is our third year, uh, has meant that the club recorded its first overall loss since 2002. For 2019-20, we will see increased commercial revenues from Adidas and our renewed deal with Emirates. Like, it's not, I mean, it's some money, but it's not significant, uh, not mm. hugely significant, particularly if you need to spend money in the transfer market on top of everything else. And he says, but another season outside the Champions League will continue to apply pressure to our financial results. And I remember Vinay talking about this very clearly, that it costs us tens of millions of pounds Every season, being out of the, the, the Champions League, it costs us in terms of prestige, it costs us in terms of recruitment, in terms of player retention. You know, it's, it is it is the holy grail of, of, you know, European football. Like it or not, that's the reality of it. The Europa League is a poor relation, no question, but it still provides European football. It can provide experience for young players, as we've seen in the past, and it does provide a measure of revenue that the club... Uh, appears to really need so I think yeah. we I think we do need to finish um, and we need to qualify for Europe one way or the other because the FA Cup winners get into Europe as well um, I agree and I think you know we've we've got a pretty big squad and actually as much as we complain about the schedule I think you know we need to offer some of those players some game time and I basically think the Europa League for all its problems it is a lottery that you can't resist but buy a ticket for because you might win a Champions League place and Arsenal needs to be in that lottery. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> there we go. There we go. Is it your question or mine? Uh, not sure. Not sure. Um, it could be though. So... Uh- Okay, here's one. Here's one from uh, Nick Bright at Nick Bright DJ. Oh, this is what I was going to do. Yeah, uh, he says, "I know in the grand scheme of things it doesn't matter." Also, I ask I ask this without an ounce of sour grapes, not even a little ounce. Anyway, he says, "What do you make of some people arguing that away goals after ninety minutes shouldn't count? We had ninety to get our away goal, and they had one hundred and twenty minutes." Yeah, interesting. I mean, it's one of those where. Kind of the longer it goes, the more it favours the team who who play the second leg away. Didn't we uh, lose a a Carling Cup semi final to Wigan on away yes. goals at Highbury yes. or the Emirates? Was, or? I think at the Emirates early on, Jason Roberts. Maybe it was Highbury actually. Could though. have been Highbury. Yeah, it was a semi final. Maybe it was the last season at Highbury. Not sure, but um, yeah. It does seem a bit odd, doesn't it? I, I, I'm trying to work out if it is sour grapes on my part. I don't think so. It feels like it should be scrapped after extra time. I think Sorry, the away, after 90 minutes. I think the away goals rule should be scrapped entirely. Do you? Yeah. What's the point of it? I think it's sort of historically, didn't it? Sort of, you know, when, when home and away were seen as more determining factors. Yeah. It kind of encouraged... Away teams, teams that went away to, from home to, to attack. Uh, 
to attack. Yeah. Yeah. But it's no longer really the case. No, it's it's a, uh, an anachronism now. I think it should be absolutely and completely scrapped. Um, why there's no real justification. You know, the whole point of football is to kick the ball in the net. But because of some arbitrary decision, uh, the same thing can count double. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. It really doesn't make any sense. You know, why should your goal uh, be twice as valuable as mine? Yes, I'm inclined to agree. I'm inclined to agree. I mean, I, what I will say is that I quite like the drama it sometimes provides. I'll hold my hands up Okay, to that. when it happens to other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But not when it happens to us. <laughs> so can we have different rules for just for us? Just for us, yeah. yeah. All of our goals count double in all of our games. We have decreed this to be the case. Therefore, we should be um, world champions. But no, yeah. realistically, I get rid of it. I, get, I just get rid of it. You know, a goal is a goal. You score a goal, it should count as a goal. Where you score it is irrelevant. I hear you. I hear you. What but next? I Do think- you get like a points for artistic merit? Well, I think the away goal is the most celebratable kind of goal. Like, if you score an away goal in Europe, you know you know it's big, and I, I do enjoy that moment. But of course, yeah, when it goes against you, it's absolutely horrible. And I agree with you, rationally, it should probably go. Um, yeah. So, yeah, actually, you know, we were robbed. We were absolutely robbed blind. <laughs> Turns out. <laughs> Turns out we were robbed. Uh, okay, let's have another question. This is actually from uh, Lucas85 on the Discord. And Lucas says, Can we now already call the signings of Suarez and Marie a total waste of time and money, given that they were loan signings to bolster our season and our season is now over? Um, I... I could be a bit harsh on Marie because I think the the idea for him was to bring him in now and let him, you know, ease in. And I think we were always going to make the deal permanent, right? As far as Flamengo are concerned, this deal is done. They've moved on. They've bought a player to replace him. Um, I think the loan thing was probably some financial hoo-ha uh, that I don't know the ins and outs of, uh, and that I, I suspect that he will become a, an Arsenal player on a permanent basis at the end of his loan deal. So for him, not so much because I think we use the next few months to to sort of bed him into the team and get him fit and, and everything else. It's a shame he's not fit. Hopefully, we'll see him on on Monday. Um, I'm, I'm very yeah. curious to see you know what he looks like and, and what kind of a player he is because you know we've all heard the interviews and heard people talk about him, but not too many of us have have seen him unless you're a keen studier of, of Brazilian football um, or you watched a lot of the Spanish second division. So you know from that point of view, I'm I'm hoping to see him the Suarez thing like how is a club that is financially um, challenged would it be fair to say yeah why are we signing a player paying a loan fee for a guy who uh, I know we have an issue at right back but like I worry about he's not even available to solve it I mean yeah uh, look it's called the January transfer window on Sunday it's March He's not been available yet. Mm. Exactly. Exactly. So I think, you know, again, maybe it's a case that they want to bring him in. They want to make the deal permanent. 
in the in the summer, you know, because he's out of contract, so he can sign as a free agent and what have you. So maybe the thinking there is, okay, we we bring him in and he can get used to everyone and join the group and settle in and all that kind of stuff, and then we sign him and he can be, you know, a, a competitor for for the right back position. But right now. Yeah, it's it's hard to look at those signings as, uh, or that particular signing as one which is in any way beneficial to us. Yeah, I think I agree. I think I always felt the the Suarez deal was a bit odd um, and a little bit unnecessary. I think, you know, Pablo Marie's a bit different. You know, he, he, I think we needed something at centre half, and I think when he's fit, he will get game time. Actually, I think he will get some minutes, and it won't feel completely pointless and and I agree with you it'll probably become a permanent deal Mm. in the summer so I think yeah of the two that's the one that sort of makes more sense okay here's one from Nathan Wise who's at Nathan underscore Wise 17 on Twitter he says Lacazette has been under some pretty harsh criticism lately and although he's hit a bad patch he scored some important goals for us in big games Spurs Liverpool Atletico Valencia how would he be viewed in 10 years if we were to sell him in the summer Interesting question. I actually had a this one from Peter Host who said, this might be an unpopular opinion, but is it fair to say that Giroud was a better striker than Lacazette? 0.41 goals per game versus Lacazette's 0.39. Whoa, he's uh, 0.02 better. <laughs> <laughs> well, interesting though, isn't it, that we sort of bought Lacazette as a kind of more prolific forward, theoretically, and it's not quite panned out that way. Yeah, I think um, he's... He's a Giroud level forward without the, without necessarily the range um, that Giroud has. If well, without like. the physical differentiator as well, you know, yeah. like Giroud provided uh, an option aerially in a way that Lacazette doesn't. Mm. I think Giroud's hold up play was better. Uh, I think <sighs> their finishing is kind of similar, sort of hit and miss, to be honest. Um, Giroud is more spectacular, capable of more spectacular goals than than Lacazette, I think. True, and I think I think Giroud's combination plays. Well, I think Giroud's combination plays pretty exceptional, to be honest. I don't think many people are as good as him in terms of mm. holding it up and and laying it off and all that kind of stuff. Like, um, if you were to ask me right now, you know, choose between Lacazette, who's whatever he is, twenty eight, yeah, and twenty eight year old Giroud. Oh, yeah. I'd have 28-year-old Giroud every day of the week. I think I would as well. And I think, you know, the the, the differentiator was supposed to be Lacazette's being quicker. You know, we all lamented that Giroud was slow, but, I mean, Lacazette is not is not quick. No. Um, he's not quick at all, really. So, yeah, interesting. I also think that Giroud would be a more obvious foil for some of our other attacking players. Mm. Um so yeah, I thought that was an interesting comparison. As for Lacazette, what was the first question? It was just sort of, shall we take him out of the back and shoot him? What was it? It was he's been uh, he's had some pretty harsh criticism, and uh, how would he be perceived if he left now? Yeah, it's a fascinating one, isn't it? I mean, it, extraordinary to think that in May he was our player of the season and that wasn't a decision that provoked a huge amount of dissent you know he was talked about as a potential club captain as well I remember in the Mm. summer by a lot of people this season it's really really fallen away from him he's had a he's had a pretty poor season all in all and I think unfortunately if he was to leave at this point 
I think you're, there's always a recency bias. You know, the way you played before you left the club often influences things mm. in the short term. And I think given the outlay, I think he would be regarded as a bit of a flop, really. And I don't, you know, doesn't make me happy to say that, but I think we spent a lot of money on him. Yeah. Like, if, if this form doesn't pick up between now and the end of the season, if he bangs in a few goals... Uh, between now and the end of the season, people will, uh, you know, remember him a bit more fondly if we were to sell him in the summer. Um, yeah, I think I had another question about Lacazette, but I can't... Oh, yeah. Uh, Ken Kratz fan. Ken Kratz fan. Ken Kratz fan. He's a fan of Ken Kratz, whoever right. that is. Do you know who Ken Kratz is? No. Should we Google him and find out? I mean, Ken Kratz. How's Ken Kratz. Oh, Ken Kratz. Okay. He's a, a lawyer. The former district attorney of Calumet County, Wisconsin. Oh, it oh, was that. Oh, Stephen that, Avery. It was that fucking thing, yeah. Netflix documentary. Netflix, um, yeah. Making make a murderer. A, make a podcast. Make a podcast about a serial killer or a criminal and, and just leave it open-ended. Don't worry about it. Forget about the victims. Don't worry about them. Just make sure you can sell fucking MailChimp subscriptions, you motherfuckers. Um, anyway, he says, <laughs> if Aubameyang left this summer and Lacazette was willing to sign a new contract on his current wage, would you give it to him or look to sell? I think, well, I think you would sell, wouldn't you? Yes, yeah, yeah, I think how, if... How old is he? 28. Yeah. I, At what point does he become 29? What because are we getting for him if we sell him? Point. Yeah, that's very true. He's, he's 29, actually, at the end of this season, 28th of May. Until then, though, I believe he, he remains, remains 28. Um, what are we getting for him money-wise? Do you know what I mean? That's, that's part of my consideration. Two years left on his contract. Still... 40 million? Is that a bit much? Well, that's, take thirty. I think we might get thirty if he doesn't. Which, if he doesn't remind people of some of the quality that he has displayed during his time at Arsenal, then you know, thirty million I'd take. Here's the thing: I think there'll always be a route back to him in to somewhere in France, you know, especially there's always talk about Leon potentially selling Dembele and he would, you know, could potentially come back in. I, um, the trouble is if you lose Aubameyang and I think increasingly that is likely, sadly, yeah. um, it worries me slightly given, and I know Lacazette's end product has been really poor, but it worries me slightly that you know, as much as we might like Martinelli or as much as we might like Nketiah and even to a certain extent Pepe, there's no track record there. So I suppose my answer is I would sell Lacazette, but I would want at least one new striker, probably two. Well, remember when we sold Van Persie and we brought in Podolsky, Giroud, Giroud. Podolsky and Cazorla? So mm. it's not impossible to... Um, you know, to bring in or to completely re revamp your forward line. Yeah. Um, Basically, I, I really like Martinelli, but I'm not quite yet ready to be like, 
we can sell all the strikers and it'll be fine. No, he's, you know what I mean? he's too young. He's too young. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a big... He's a kid. Big responsibility know? to put on a, a young player like that. And like you, I'm very excited by his potential, but we we have to be realistic. Like, if you play him week in, week out, and he, you know, struggles, people will be the first to say, look, what are you doing? He's just a kid, so... Mm. so but, you know, if, if this is the last... This might be the last chance to get some... Decent money back for Lacazette, so you know it would be tempting. Mm. And the way he's played this season, he's not been mm. worthwhile. No, know? I would sell. I would sell, even if Aubameyang left. Actually, especially if Aubameyang left, because I think then you just go fuck it. It's time we just go in a completely different direction. We 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 rebuild uh, as much as we can within our resources, of course. Um, well, also if you sell them both. Yeah, you've got plenty of money sw- swilling around to get, yeah. you know, some some bodies in and somebody pretty good as well. Yeah, and maybe George Mendes and uh, Kia will tell us <laughs> that they've got some of that yeah, sweet sweet cash. They'll they'll allow us to sign one of their really great players. Yeah, so that'll be for good. a small agents fee of just small. twenty million pounds. Yeah, twenty million pounds paid in five installments of a hundred million pounds over <laughs> one year. A Southampton striker, um, <laughs> <laughs> Shane Long. They can get Shane Long. <laughs> Uh, right. Yeah. Um, oh, Anders Magnusson, who, in my opinion, sort of has the sort of Scandinavian version of your name, which I enjoy. <laughs> uh, Hello, Anders. <laughs> Can you please talk about Joe Willock? Why do all coaches favour him? Can't see what, what he offers the team, especially not over some other players. Well, we, we talked earlier, didn't we, about where exactly he was playing mm. and we didn't know um, or, or quite what he was being instructed to do either. Yeah. Um, like, I think I think they like his, his athleticism. I think they like his, his willingness. I think he's a, a good player. I think he is a good, a good young player, but maybe one that's suffering just at the moment for, for not having a, a particularly defined position you know but I think in the Premier League um, and in football in general the ability to run and to sprint and you know we've referenced the Liverpool midfield before haven't we that they're not necessarily the most brilliant footballers in the world when you when you stick in Henderson and Vinaldum and and mm-hmm. whoever the fuck else they have in there you know I try not to think about Liverpool too much Um but, you know, they're not necessarily the greatest players in the world, but what they can do is is operate well within a system. And I think I think Willock is a player who could um, be that kind of a player um, if that's something we were building. But, you know, uh, he's a young talent. Um, their form and what have you is going to fluctuate. I, I don't think he's been... I think he had a much better first half to the season than he's having a, a second half. Um, but... Yeah, look, they, they're seeing something in him. They're definitely seeing something in him. Yeah, I think a, a big part of it is that he's kind of the only midfielder of his type that we have. Mm-hmm. And I think that plays into it. You know, if you're looking for someone who genuinely does give you that that ability to separate from defenders, to, you know, sprint and dribble away from the, them in sort of central midfield areas, I think it's sort of him, really. Like, mm-hmm. that's it. And if you want to find someone to do that, that's who you've got to go to. So I think they'll be looking for someone of that category, of that type in the summer, uh, who's a bit more experienced and a bit more ready for those minutes. Um, 
So yeah, I, I, I but Joe Willock doesn't vex me. You know, when no, I see Joe Willock come on, I, I'm like, that's fine, and I don't come away from guys being like, what the fuck's Willock about? I sort of just see a young player who's promising but raw. Yeah, and that's I mean, I do wonder why, what it is they're asking him to do, and how it is they're asking him to do it. You know, he does yeah. seem to be kind of thrown on as a kind of agent of chaos in some ways. You know, he does. He does, and there's there's good and bad to that, and you know, like. Diaby or sort of almost Baptista like he's one of those players what's his position it's really sort of hard to say yeah Um, and that can make him dangerous but can also make him frustrating and you hope those things iron out but maybe they don't okay I've got one final one here um Assuming I can find it. Uh, It comes from Dan who's at DanFizzle49 and he says uh, last night's Aubameyang stunner was so good, I prematurely announced to everyone around me that I was naming my firstborn Pierre Emmerich. What's the best meaningless Arsenal goal you've ever seen? Ooh, good question. Uh, probably something in a friendly or a testimonial or something. Uh, I think or- we've got to use a competitive match because all uh, of those okay. goals don't count, you know, so... Um, so like a consolation, I guess. Yeah. Oh, God. There was one that stood out to me immediately. Go on, what is it? I can't think. Do you remember when we got beaten 6-1 at Old Trafford? I mean, I've, the, the, I try not to. The Igor Stepanov's... Yes, um, of course. Uh, ...adventure, as it was that day. <laughs> I think they scored first and if I'm right we scored an equaliser and it was a really brilliant goal was it Perez Um, Henri they worked the ball um, they worked the ball down the right hand side and it was just a lovely um, lovely work goal Henri scored yeah Henri scored yeah to make it 1-0 Oh, that was a good choice. That was a, that it a was a really good goal. I was thinking, well, that's a good goal. And then, of course, by the time Dwight York has fucking scored the fifth with his cock, you're like, fuck this. <laughs> uh, that's a pretty good one. I can't better it, to be honest. Um, it, it will be in the Europa League final was a good one. Oh, that's a great shout. That's a great shout. And, it, and, and sort of one of those where... In a weird way, you kind of felt he could only do that in a situation where the game was dead. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, I know exactly what you mean. But there you go. Uh, yeah, that's... Um, I'm sure he treasures those memories. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, look, we'll leave it there, will we? Because we've, we've, gone, we've gone through it all as best we can, and hopefully you've come out the other side of it feeling... I don't know what you're feeling. Probably nothing. Probably dead inside. Numb. Yeah, If you're all dead inside, we'll start a podcast about it and exploit your death so we can sell mattresses and (laughs) those food packages that people get. What's that about? Just cook some food, you fuckers. Um, All right. Well, look, we've got an FA Cup game on Monday, so Arscast Extra on Tuesday. Yes. We'll have to wait until then to discuss our our hopeful progression in the FA Cup, and hopefully this competition will do... uh, uh, will do more for us than the Europa League has done this season. Um, 
Thank you as ever for listening. Thanks to everybody, by the way, for all the really nice uh, messages for the for the Arse blog 18th birthday um, thing that was doing the rounds yesterday. Thanks to Arsenal uh, Football Club, my team. Thank you for making the day so special. I really appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> a special delivery. Special delivery of a big bag of shite. Yeah. Um, so thank you for that. Really, really appreciate it. And uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.